I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I have a confession to make. I was raised a good Southern Baptist boy until um, they politely asked us to leave the church. <laughs> Went to Oral Roberts University, so okay, right? Um, I am now a part of a wonderful Presbyterian church, Cumberland Presbyterian, for those of you who know what that is. I didn't know what it was. But one thing they do a little different from us Southern Baptists um, is that they ordain women into ministry. And I have, you know, thought about this, looked at scripture over the years, uh, considered several things that we'll talk about today. And and I I really am at a position where I I think maybe our misunderstanding uh, of scripture and a little, uh, (laughs) some attitudes by some men that aren't always correct, uh, have done some damage. And, And I would love to free up some people, men and women, to let women take their proper place in ministry and in the church. Uh, we're going to have that kind of conversation today. It's okay if you disagree. Um, I just want you to think a little bit. And if I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. And so to springboard that conversation, there is a book that is out now dealing with this. It is called Still Here and Struggling to Serve. And I love the title. We'll find out a little more about the, the title. But uh, the author is Gina McCown, and she joins me today to discuss this sometimes uh, controversial issue of women and their role in ministry. Gina, welcome to Life Today Live. Welcome to the fire. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So go ahead and explain the title so we can kind of get a little sense of where you're coming from. Uh, and then I got just loads of questions. I mean, they sent some on a sheet here, which is great, but you know. Uh, I don't need a lot of cheat sheet on this topic. It's a good, it's an easy one for me to talk about, but explain the title real quick for us. So, you know, interestingly enough, I was struggling and serving in ministry myself. I was looking for resources to try to, you know, get a better grip and understanding. Um, I also come from a Southern Baptist background and um, I ended up upon this book that was written in the 1970s that was called Our Struggle to Serve. Hmm. And it was, 15 stories of different women and they're struggling in the evangelical church, trying to find their place of where they serve. And some of those stories dated back, actually, I think the earliest one, she started her ministry in like 1908. Hmm. So I got a hold of this book. I wanted to read. I was hoping to find encouragement. I wanted to see that the needle had moved. And as I continued to read through the book, I realized a lot of the accounts of these women, in fact, almost all of them, could actually have been written today. The needle hadn't moved very much at all. And in fact, I would even argue in some places it's moved backwards. Mm. So when I began to write the book, I wrote it actually as a response to that book, which is why I called it, we're still here and we're, we're still struggling. We're still struggling to serve. We're still trying to find our space in ministry. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of where that birthed from. I did decide to do a different format and look at the subject a bit differently, yeah. but um, it really was birthed out of coming across that book totally by accident on eBay. <laughs> well, and I think that just points to the fact that this is not a new discussion or struggle uh, in the church. Uh, it's ongoing. Um, we're 
I don't know. Where do you, where do you land on women's role in the churches? And then we'll we'll discuss some of the the issues that have resulted in the struggle. For me personally, like I said, being brought up in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, I for a very long time was hardlined against it because you know, quote unquote, the Bible clearly says. Um, however the more that I was challenged by other people to defend that position, the less I could defend that position. And one of the things that's really important to me, and this is that like cerebral thinker thinker side of me, is that, you know, the Bible can't contradict itself. Mm -hmm. And so as I would begin to talk to people about this particular topic, I would hear one person's argument, but then the next person, it would contradict that. And I was going back and forth. And if we are to trust the Bible, if the Bible, if we're supposed to hold that as the true word of God, then it cannot contradict itself. Otherwise, we create distrust. It's not credible anymore. So we have to reconcile that. So for me, as I really began to try to reconcile that, I began to move from gradually. I wouldn't say like it was a, um, a light switch flipped overnight but I gradually moved from women having no official pastoral leadership roles to moving into a place where I was a little more comfortable, like a women's pastor or pastor over children. And then ultimately today, where I land today is I really cannot justify excluding women from pastoral roles in the church. I I can't find anything that justifies it. I can't find any argument that cannot be rebutted and ultimately, when we look at the price, what's the price we pay for this? Um, you know, God so loved this world. He loved everybody in this world. He wants none of us to perish. And so how do we go out and share a gospel mission? How do we fulfill the Great Commission when we handicap ourselves by discrediting or excluding mm-hmm. half of our body? <laughs> uh, doesn't sound very logical, but we'll get to the scripture. And, and arguments are great, but I think you don't have to have a good argument. I think you can have a good understanding of Scripture and get to that place. Interesting, you, you're currently the women's ministry educator at the Christian Leaders Institute in Grand Rapids. Is that right? Yes, I am. Are you an ordained minister or a pastor? I am something? not. Okay. I am not. Okay. I'm, I, I'm not. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, benefits me in this topic is I'm not, I've got no skin in this game. There's nothing in it for me. I'm not trying to justify myself getting a job somewhere. Um, I really wanted to look at this from a place of, am I handling the word of God correctly? Am I interpreting it correctly? And am I becoming a stumbling block to somebody who's supposed to be living out their calling because of those misinterpretations? So for me, there was no skin in the game. There was no reason for me to try to battle this topic other than to really understand what the word truly says and what it doesn't. Yeah, and my my former pastor, whom I still love, uh, we moved across town, so it's one another. He would say there is there are many applications of scripture, but there is on, only one correct interpretation of scripture. So let's get to the scripture, the two passages where Paul very clearly says he doesn't want women teaching men uh, that women shouldn't have certain roles in the church. Is that not clear? Because I know we're going to get this. <laughs> and I mean, I get it. I got in a comment recently with, with someone, an old, old video. It's like, no, the Bible clearly says, and they quote that scripture. How does that not stand? So this is where how we read scripture is incredibly important, that we are reading it in context, mm-hmm. 
and that we're also reading it through the eyes and the lens of the time period of the people who were writing it, the language that they used, the literary styles that they used, and what was the point and purpose of those different parts. We know that some of these parts of the Bible are poems, and we know some of them are wisdoms, and we also know some are actual eyewitness accounts, and others are letters that are being transported. And um, so we have to understand that side of it first, so that we're making sure that we're coming at it with an un um, an unbiased and objective view. And then when we get in there, we start to look at each of these individual letters that were written. Who were they written to? Why were they written? What was going on during the time that they were being written? And so when we want to look at Paul's letter to Timothy there, we have Paul who left Timothy in charge of this church. And he's like, hey, I got other stuff I got to go and handle. And he left. And so he was corresponding with Timothy in order to make sure that Timothy felt supported, that Timothy could get guidance and answers. And he was being a real mentor to him. But we also can't discount the other things that were said in that letter. We can't discount that Paul actually credits Timothy's faith because of the teaching and education of Timothy's mother and grandmother. That's a huge important part that we can't just dismiss. Timothy was doing exactly what he was doing because of the two women who had poured into him up until the point that he came under Paul's mentorship. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we also have to look at why would Paul have said what he said? If we're going to argue against that saying, like using out of Galatians, where there's, you know, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no master, there's no slave, there's no man, there's no woman. We are all one in Christ, mm -hmm. right? If Paul said that, mm -hmm. then how can Paul say this? Well, we do that by continuing to read and looking at these letters in whole, not cherry picking little verses because they back up our bias, but look at it as a whole. So what we hear from Paul later to Timothy is, what were the women doing? The women were going around into homes talking about things they didn't know. So we had a real concern. Here we've come into a town, the religious uh, traditions of the time period in Ephesus, women actually served as priestesses in those religions that were there. So they were used to being in charge. They were used to being the teachers. But here's a moment where Christianity is coming in. It is taking root. It's building a church here. And those women who are coming into it are wanting to continue the role that they always had. But what Paul says is, look, they're going around. They're talking about things they shouldn't talk about. Here's what I need from these women. I need these women to stop and be a student of the word. Mm. That's what I need. And that's no different than when Mary and Martha were going back and forth when Jesus was over to visit. And Jesus said to Martha, calm down. Mary's doing the best thing right now. It's not that what Martha was doing was wrong. It was that Mary was doing what was better in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to sit and be students of the word before we can be teachers of the word. And so when you look at that in comparison to the other letters, this was a very specific letter written to a very specific church addressing the very specific things that were happening in that community at the time. And Paul was imparting his wisdom to Timothy that in this situation, this is the advice I would give you. And that's why it could look very different than the letter to Galatians, because this really isn't a matter of either it is okay or it's not okay. This is a matter of both and. Both what is being said in Galatians can be true and what is being said in Ephesians can be true. Um, 
what's being said in Galatians can be true and what's being said in the letters to Timothy can be true. Mm-hmm. This can be mutually true at the same time. And that's how the Bible doesn't contradict itself in this, because we can reconcile that, that the women in this particular city needed very particular instruction. I, I recently opened a letter when I got home from work and it said you're being summoned to jury duty and it had all the legal language surrounding jury duty and the things you had to do. Uh, to comply with the law. Uh, and then I looked up at the top and it was addressed to my wife. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Uh, th- that doesn't make jury duty not a thing. That doesn't make the law surrounding it any different. But it wasn't addressed to me. And a lot of times, I think when we read these letters, especially Paul's, we forget that very first salutation where he says who he's talking to. That doesn't make his words not true. It just means that he was talking to a particular group of people, and we can glean truth that's timeless and eternal out of that, especially when he's talking about the character of God and things like that. But it's interesting. It's The, the other passage, is it uh, Thessalonians, I think it is, where he says, you know, I, I forbid woman to speak in church. That's surrounded by things like don't wear expensive clothes don't wear jewelry don't put your hair up and braids or whatever nobody quotes those they just go to the ones that says women should be silent how do you (laughs) i mean context obviously is everything audience is everything uh another point is that the the jewish men were the educated ones in the day women were not allowed an education in that culture in which Paul was writing. And so to your point, they needed to sit and learn because they had been robbed of that opportunity before that, you know, um, have we missed this? How has the church missed context and audience and things like that? And just to cherry pick these, I mean, is do you have any theories around that one? I think some of it can go back to the education system that we had growing up all of these years. Mm. You know, if you go back into the 1900s, even like early back into the 1900s, it was only, you know, uh, 23 years ago. But if you go back into the early 1900s and beyond that, even when women started becoming educated, when they were going to school, even going through and going to college and secondary schools, Mm. you know, it was never expected that women were going to become professionals. It was never expected, you know, for some of them, this was going to be the place where they would meet their husband. Or for some of them, this was just something to do until they actually got married. It was expected that, you know, if a woman got, you know, got a college education, yeah, she might get a job as a teacher or a secretary or an administrative role of that purpose. But as soon as she got married, and definitely once she had children, she was going to leave that career and she was going to become a homemaker. That was the norm. And so even in really for us, what is the more recent history, there wasn't an expectation for women to be educated to the level where they could sit down and be, you know, and have like a doctoral thesis, Mm. you know, on meaning and implications of second Timothy. That wasn't Mm -hmm. an expectation. Now what we're dealing with is our current generation is the most educated generation of women ever. And that's not just biblical. I mean, just straight up education. We are the most educated generation of women ever, but we're also the most theologically educated. You look at a lot of seminaries, about 30% of their classes are women. Hmm. So women are going out and they're 
getting that education and they are doing the sitting and they are doing the listening and the learning and they are growing. And so now we're left in a moment of, well, what do we do with that? Well, the last time we had like a real surge of women putting forth this like concerted effort to prove that they had worth and value in the workplace, we look at, you know, the women's liberation, the the feminist movement of the 1970s and women were coming out and they were saying like, I want to be treated equal and I want to have the same rights and I, I want the same opportunities and equal pay and all of these things. And, you know, when we look at the timeline, and this is something that is talked about in the book, because I do put out a timeline, we see that the response of the church to the feminist movement, especially the early conservative church um, at that time, was they buckled down. And even churches who at one time had been ordaining women in pastoral roles stopped doing it. And that's when we see this idea of biblical manhood and womanhood erupt. It didn't exist before the 1970s. The word complementarian yeah. didn't exist before the 1970s. Really? So, you know, we have to look at why did that happen? It happened as a response because people are afraid of what they don't know. And for some reason, we thought ministry was so limited that there were only so many small spots there that we had to control who could get in them and who could get out of them and who was qualified and who wasn't as if there's not plenty of work to be done in this world that we live in today. In fact, every day there's more work to be done. Interesting. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the easiest things to do and one of the worst things to do is, uh, I don't know the right word, make contemporary, contemporize, I think is the word, um, scripture. And and so when, when you look at the women's lib movement in our country, there are certainly some very good things that came out of that. I mean, you, you alluded to some. I do think there are some negative things that have further come out of that. And so you get this negative reaction from the church, which is understandable, but it, I, it, the overreaction is not good either. You know, uh, you'll, you'll appreciate the IR saying for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, <laughs> you know, and it, it seems like we, we've, We've been in one ditch for so long, and as we try to come out of it, it, a lot of people just want to throw us, whether it's the world or the church, into a ditch on the other side of it, you know? So I think it's critical that we not fall into either of those ditches, but we go, like you say, let's go to Scripture. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's look at the roles of women in Scripture because, I mean, if you take the out of context, in my opinion, statements of Paul, the two statements of Paul, there's a lot of women in the Bible that are not following what Paul said to do, if that's how you approach it. Uh, what do you, when you look through Scripture, I mean, you can talk about all the way from Deborah as a judge to, to the people that Paul commends, <laughs> the women Paul commends as leaders in the church. What Do you see any limitations? What do you see women doing? I think the more you look at it, the less limitations you find. So I'll give you an example for me. For years and years and years, and it comes up all of the time um, in the church, is we hear about the story of the woman at the well, right? Jesus goes out of his way. He encounters the woman at the well. They're having a conversation. And throughout that, you know, he's telling her all this stuff about her uh, or about himself. or No, I'm sorry, about her and about himself, right. who he is and 
She comes to a point that she believes that Jesus is exactly who she says he is, right? Yeah. So for the majority of my history, up until the last couple of years, whenever I would hear that story used, whether it was at a women's event, whether it was in church, whether it was in a study, the story kind of ended there for me. So one day I'm sitting in church and I'm reading through my Bible as the pastor's talking, and I have a tendency sometimes to read ahead. And for the first time ever, what jumped out at me was what happened next. Right. And what it says happened next was she leaves the well, she goes back into the town, the one that she had been you know, kind of keeping away from, she goes back into the town, she tells everyone about him, and the Bible actually says that many were saved in the town because of her testimony. And, and for me, like that was huge. That was this moment of this woman was trusted with the direct word of God, directly from Jesus himself to go in and had an impact and saved a community. If we truly believe when we say to people, you know, um, I'm not in the church, the church is in me, or I'm not in ministry, ministry is in me. Well, then in that moment, she was rightly handling the word of God. She encountered God at a very spiritual level. She took that back to the people in her community. She shared the word and her experience and her testimony, and people were saved. Now, if that doesn't sound like any church on any given Sunday, I don't know what is. <laughs> so if we look at those encounters, it's like you see women are delivering the gospel message you know, when Jesus rises out of the grave and they come, they're the first ones to see that Jesus has risen. They're the first ones to convey that message. So even in that moment, that huge pinnacle historical moment, women were the first people on the line. That's not to say that women are more important than, right. that is not to say that women are more ones than, but what that does say is that true to his nature, Jesus was countercultural to the time that he lived in. And he wasn't going to do things the way that everyone else always has. The problem for human beings, we don't like change. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. And we really don't like to admit when we're wrong, when it's a subject we've dug our heels in for you know a very long time, whether that's us personally, our church, our culture, our geography, our generation, or whether it's our denomination. Yeah. We don't really want to admit when we're wrong especially especially when we've argued it and have to come back and say, you know what, I had this completely wrong because what we worry then is that people won't trust us when the truth is, if I can come to you and I can say, I had this wrong, here's, here's why I've changed my opinion, here's why I've changed my stance on it, here's the evidence that I can find in the scripture, all it actually does is add to our credibility and we need to not be afraid of that. Well, and we need to not be so self-centric. I mean, my Lord, I mean, it's it's not about us. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. And you know, if you if you went to a lot of churches in your town and said, We have this woman evangelist that wants to speak and so a lot of people get saved, you get a lot of closed doors. But that's exactly what the woman of the world does. She's a female evangelist that Jesus chose, you know. And so I for a woman who is called and and the door slammed shut. Uh, I don't want to be the guy on the other side of that door slamming, slamming it shut. You know, I want to, I want to open it. I love how you brought up also when, when Jesus after the resurrection showed himself to a woman first and she went back to the apostles minus Thomas who wasn't there. And, uh, and she told them, 
the gospel truth that Jesus is alive, and they didn't believe her. <laughs> so we'll believe when we see it for your woman. You're talking out of your head, you know. And we always pick on Thomas because he said the same thing. I, I believe it when I see it, but we have to see it. And I think that's a little bit of the hard part in this conversation is we can't force people to see what we believe is what scripture says and the truth, you know, um, they have to go to God themselves. So, I mean, if someone's wanting to argue, uh, and you, you can leave your comments, that's, that's fine as long as you're nice. Um, but you really need to go to scripture and ask God to show you himself. Um, uh, that's, I think that's the only way because it's, it's, it's real hard for people. How do you, how do you react when you hear, well-known, well-respected Christian leaders say things like, you know, woman, go home, stay in the kitchen. That's a hard one to hear. But at the same time, it's it's not surprising and it's not, it's, it's almost like you, even though nobody else has necessarily used those specific words, mm-hmm. it's the common theme that you feel. Yeah. You know, you're not wanted here. You're not needed here other than in the ways that I determine that I need you here. Um, You look at, you know, any given church on any given Sunday, and you've got women doing all of these amazing things. They're leading in the church every single day. Whether people want to give them the title or not is irrelevant at this point. They're doing it. And, um, you know, they're, they're teaching children. They are, you know, teaching teenagers that are about to become adults. They're leading Bible studies. They're, you know, writing materials. They're writing newsletters for their churches, for goodness sakes. I mean, they're doing all of this stuff. Some of them are working as research assistants for pastors, Mm -hmm. especially in the larger. So, you know, the influence is there. Like I said, whether you want to admit it or not, it is there. Uh, But when you hear that, you're just kind of like, I'm more surprised by the person who is welcoming of it and wanting it Mm. and open to it than I am to hear somebody say, you know, not here or not in this church or go home. Um, you know, I, I remember once, um, I had a pastor who had said to me, the greatest gift that the women in my church can give me is to, um, love their husbands well, Mm -hmm. raise their children's well and take care their children well and take care of their homes. Okay. And after I picked my jaw up off the ground, I said, to him because this is me and my personality and I'm willing to throw back because <laughs> I don't want to argue with people, but I do want people to think. Yeah. And I said, so what does that say to the woman who's not married? What does that say to the mm. woman that doesn't have children? What does that say to the widow? Do those people carry no value in your church? Because right now those women are educated professionals who could absolutely help you with your next budget project. Mm. That could act- absolutely help you with raising money for missions that could completely, you know, reorganize the structure side because we have these administrative gifts that we've been given. And it was just such a sad moment, you know, for me yeah. to see that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the truth. You know, so we, Go ahead. Well, we yeah. do it to our own detriment. What were you yeah, going to say? Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, what that means to me and how that impacts me and how we respond to that is we just simply have to have truth. We have to have truth in our pocket. We have to understand the word. We have to be able to articulate it and we have to be able to challenge them 
but we also have to be patient and allow people to navigate this process and take the time to learn as long as they have a teachable spirit. Now, if somebody doesn't have a teachable spirit, they are heels dug into the ground and no changing, then you know what? The word has truth for that too, which says don't cast your pearls before the swine. It's true. I got to tell you, when I hear things like that, I just cringe. As, especially as a man who is, you know, in, in ministry, I just go, oh, I just, no, it's just like, no, no. But you're right. I mean, there are some who hold to that position who are willing to discuss it and have a good conversation. I've had those conversations and, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I do think it, it, we we're doing ourselves a disservice in the church. So let me, let me flip it around and ask it this way. What can men do to help women support women not that you need our help but we should support each other um so that they can fulfill everything that god's called them to do what what can we do i think the biggest thing is just advocating so let's just start there by advocating the conversation let's look at this and let's explore this and especially if you're married having your husband support you uh, and and have a willingness to even you know speak with the pastor about it one of the things that I saw that was very commonplace in the original book that was written in the 70s, and as well as the women that I've talked to over the last couple of years as I researched and did surveys for the book, is that even the men who support it will often stay silent because they themselves don't want to be blackballed out of ministry. Huh. They don't want to have to pay the price. And so they're not willing to step up and say, you know what? I've done some research and I disagree with this and here's my reasons why, because they don't want their career being cut short or they don't want to be seen as somebody who believes something differently than the beliefs of the church. And so that's the huge part is really just coming up and being willing to say, not even so much that you necessarily agree with it, but that you are open and supportive of our church revisiting this subject, having real discussion, digging in really deep. Let's look at the scripture. Let's look at all the different resources. Let's really take this to task. Let's be really good Bereans and let's test Mm. the word for its truth and accuracy and then come together as a, you know, with a conclusion. But that's also too, as men, um, particularly leading in the church, the other thing that women need is we need you as the pastors and the leaders of your church to be really crystal clear in communicating what your church actually believes. Hmm. Because I have met a ton of women who have been leaving, leading in these churches for 10, 15, 20 years, and then a pastoral role opens up and they put in for it and they find out that they're not eligible. So they've attended this church for two, you know, two decades and nobody's actually told them that the church doesn't support women in leadership. Hmm. Or I've seen women where it was great they could do it as a volunteer but the minute they were actually going to pay a staff (laughs) they hired in or any of those kind of things and that's a mixed message that's being sent to women and that is absolutely unfair if your church is going to believe that if you can get to the end of the research if you're unwilling to do the research then own that but also be very clear and communicate that to your members so that then those members, those women and their families can come together and make a decision. Is this a church whose beliefs I align with? And if not, then I have the freedom to move on and find a place where I'm going to be able to use those gifts that God has called me to use. 
Yeah. And, and most important, like you say, we got to look at the totality of scripture and say, do my beliefs align with that? And I, I'm honored to be able to have the space to advocate for women doing whatever God calls them to do and to the rest of us to support and applaud and celebrate that. Um, and if you want a resource for that, you can pick up the book still here and still struggling to serve. It'll make you think. It'll maybe challenge you some of the things you've been taught, and that's and that's okay. Um, I, I just think we need to have a discussion. Yes, I do want to persuade people to think, you know, to see it the way I see it. But at the same time, I want to remain teachable and open. And if I am wrong on this ish, issue, ask God to convict me. And I would ask the same for any of you guys watching out there. <laughs> Literally, you guys. But you know what? A lot of women, too. Uh, I, I, I dare say that most of the comments I get, well, at least... Mm, a good percentage, maybe 50-50, the comments I get that are against this are from women. Uh, and they've just, yeah. you know, they, they've been taught this. And again, it's not about getting into the argument. Um, I really think it's about going back to Scripture and going back to the heart of Christ, who very much shook up the, the culture, uh, the things they'd been taught, you know, uh, and said, women, I've got a job for you. I've got a honor a place of honor in my kingdom for you and uh, i've got a role for you to fulfill and i just don't see any limits on it uh last word to you gina by the way before i before i give you the last word uh let me show people real quick your website this is gina b mccown you got to tell me what the b stands for by the way um, it stands for Bethune. It was actually my maiden name. Okay. I moved it into my middle name. Nice. Okay. So Gina B. McCallum. Nice little Irish tradition. It is. I, well, don't get me started. Uh, this is what the website looks like. So if you hit it, you'll see the book there. You'll see the right place. Um, and uh, you, you can find out more about her there. Uh, pick up the book wherever you get books. But I don't know. Final thoughts on this fun for me because <laughs> I like controversy. Uh, but yeah, controversial topic. For me, coming into this was just about simply seeking truth. Hmm. And so the way that I wrote the book is one that challenges thought. And I actually look at both sides of the argument that people have made, the different scriptures, the different resources. I really wanted to write the book from a more neutral standpoint. I actually didn't be really become firm in what I believe till I got to the end of the book myself. <laughs> so nice. what I would say is... Don't feel like picking up this book is a, a smack you over the head with Gina's opinion on these things. But you're, what you're actually doing is you're getting a chance to see my own personal journey as I went through these different parts of the research and started learning to re really come to a place and say, OK, now, now that I have all of this information, both sides of the equation, both of the arguments how can I reconcile and, and feel good and comfortable with where I am now? The other side of that is I'd really tried to end the book with a note of hope. There is still hope. We are still here. We are not going anywhere. And there's a whole world that needs us. So at the end of the day, if you feel called, your obedience to God trumps your church's opinion. So if your church is not supporting it, but your family still goes there. You don't want to leave. You're too connected in there. Guess what? There's a whole world of opportunities for you to go out and share the gospel message with others. There are missions. There are ministries. There are nonprofit organizations. There's community Bible studies. So get involved in one of those. You are not 
hindered by the four walls of the church because you are the church and where you go, the church goes with you. Love it. Love it. Uh, and, uh, Appreciate the the time and the energy and the conversation and the honesty. Uh, And I do think that we have to go and let the Scripture tell us what we should believe and not listen to the world or even necessarily a denomination sometimes because they're they're not 100% right all the time. That's just the reality. So thank you, Gina. Appreciate you being with us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. If you've made it this far, then uh, I appreciate you being willing to listen. Uh, and so if you want to go further, still here struggling to serve, you check that out. Um, go to the scripture yourself. Ask God to show you. Uh, and do leave your comments. Like, follow, subscribe, do those fun things. Uh, and uh, we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. Nobody can prevent you from doing the will of God.